There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine this. You're stranded on an island forever. But don't freak out because you get to bring one dish with you. Your desert island dish. What is it? Every week, your hosts, Paul and Tegan, that's us. Hello. Hello. We'll ask this question. They'll chat with and torment a literal raft of guests on the island who'll dish up stories, gossip, and culinary secrets. But they all have one big thing in common. They bloody love food. Welcome to Dish. Hello and welcome to Dish. I'm Paul Verhoeven. And I'm Tegan Higginbotham. And every week, we trap a celebrity on our food island and keep them here basically for the rest of eternity. We ensorcel them. We, what is ensorcel? Ensorcelment. It's, uh, it's, it's where you basically use magic to keep people here against their will. Ah, oh, so sauce is in sorcery as opposed to sorcery. tomato. Yes. Because <laughs> yes. I thought you meant we're luring them with food, which we, we're kind of doing in a way. Well, absolutely. Although we're making people bring a dish, which means we're ensorcelling them with their own sauce, which hasn't been sourced yet because they haven't cooked it yet. Every week we ask our celebrities who have been trapped on the island to bring one dish that they are happy to eat for the rest of eternity, their yep. desert island dish. That's right. We've had some incredible, bizarre dishes and a bag of flour brought to the island so far. Doesn't count. <laughs> I'm so mad about the flower. I'm so <laughs> mad. We had one rule. Bring a dish, Sean. So far, we have so few rules on the island. Sharing is okay. The island has not been named, but we think it is somewhere in the South Pacific. And as we've established, it looks like the set of Hook. So there's just kind of tree houses made of bamboo at this point. And it is one kilometre squared bigger than Phillip Island. That's right. As people will also know, you and I get to transport ourselves in and off of the island. We're the only people on the island who can do this. We have not shared our powers. It is cruel and unusual, and we're happy with that. Now, on the flag for this island, on Dish Island, it has something in Latin, and the translation actually is, uh, suck shit losers. <laughs> so as we, um, <laughs> we have to really ground ourselves in that while all of our celebrities are trapped on the island, yep. Paul and I are trapped in a very different type of island. We are trapped in the island of nothingness that is Gippsland. But there's nothing here. No, just in this particular part. The problem is your parents chose, they literally opened the map, closed their eyes, went uh, to a random spot, and they picked a spot which is just, it's so unfeasibly dull here. It's not. It's lovely. It's quiet. It's just different. But while we are up here riding out Lockie D number five, because mm-hmm. Melbourne has been popped into our popped, I say, it makes it sound friendlier. Our fifth lockdown. Don't say Lockie D number five. It makes me think about Lou Baker. <laughs> There's a reference. <laughs> Lockie D number five. <laughs> Don't do that, actually. We've been baking and cooking up an absolute storm up yes. here because we have access to my mother's incredibly large kitchen mm. where you can never find anything, but everything is there. Yeah, she has a system. She has the place divided up into like quadrants and subsections, and it makes sense to her, but she gets frustrated when I don't know where the ramekins are. They're not with the bowls. They're in a kind of like a sub bowl area, and they're hot because she's about three feet high, and she has a stepladder to get to things. Yeah. It's very confusing, and also the benches are so low that I almost have to duck down. Basically, I'm in a hobbit kitchen. While we're in our Hobbit kitchen, as I said, we've been baking and cooking a lot. Mm. I made uh, what I think was my best shoe pastry 
the other day. Very good. I made an eclair and the actual shoe pastry was exceptional. However, instead of filling it with the Chantilly cream, this time I tried to fill it with a more of a traditional vanilla custard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a, a custard cream. And... I think then when I put the chocolate on top, the chocolate was too overpowering for the custard cream, which was a really delicate palette. So the whole thing, although being uh, texturally quite satisfying, was imbalanced. And I was a bit frustrated by that imbalance. You also got annoyed when I bit the end off and sucked the cream out and made weird noises. Well, that was offensive, yes. I just love your... Your baking is so, so good. That's lovely that you say that, but do you know what happened just yesterday? What? So... It's so stupid, but they are currently casting for this next season of The Great Australian Bake Off. Mm. And, you know, we had Sean on last week and I've been thinking about Bake Off so much. So I started an application and then it was only yesterday, actually, that I decided that, no, I'm being ridiculous. I do not have the skills to compete on The Great Australian Bake Off, so I'm not going to apply. I think Sean would be furious if she knew. Maybe, but, you know, Sean talks down her skills on The Great Australian Bake Off and still she would have... I mean, even anybody on that season that Sean was on would have run circles around me. I can do a few things and I can do them pretty well, Mm -hmm. but I'm not a proficient baker. I mean, today I am considering baking bread for the very first time in my life. You cannot go on the Great Australian Bake Off if you have not even cooked a loaf of bread in your lifetime. I beg to differ. And you know what's interesting? Our guest today, uh, our ensorcelled guest on the island today, is someone who has more than a passing familiarity with... Reality television cooking competitions. Yes, exactly. She is a freelance food and travel writer, a food media consultant, a radio broadcaster, a television presenter, MC, cookbook editor, and who's sexiest person of the year in 2020, ring-a-ding-ding. You're gonna know who I'm talking about, but she She's just about the country's favourite master chef, judge and host. She will eat anything once, according to her website. Please welcome to the island, Melissa Leong. We are currently in my dad's uh, his space workshop where he awesome. likes to put all of his space Lego and toys. And we have used a possum cage to prop up the mic. And <laughs> we have, we've used all of mum's old washing racks to try and create some sound buffer. Oh. It's, it's a fucking disaster. It's like a, this is like a zombie film where we are making the last dispatch to the survivors from a hovel. It's, it's, it's terrible. But all of that aside... Welcome to our island. This is our special little lockdown place that, you know, from one lockdown from you to the other, you are trapped here forever now. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Look, it's just, it is a bit apocalyptic and I think we just make do with what we have. I mean, everyone has their own weird little um, sort of, you know, home set up at the moment and I think M. Rasciano was using her wardrobe for a little while before she set up her thing and like, you know, just because of sound dampening and all the rest of it. So, you know, whatever yeah. works. You've got to work with it. Well, one thing that's made it tricky for us out here as well is that my dad, um, what did he do again? He got confused with getting the internet from his little space garage where oh. we are into the house. Yes, yes, that's right. And he... he d- <laughs> He dug a trench. He, he dug a trench for the wireless to help the wireless go better. And as we said, Dad, it's, the clue's in the name. It's called wireless. You didn't need to do that. Oh, it's in the air, is it? Yes, Kevin, it's in the air. 
It's magic. <laughs> but you know what? Just dig it. Sometimes you just need to dig a hole. So. He's just got to <laughs> dig a hole. He's just, look, he had all these amazing shovels and he needed to use, he needed an excuse to deploy them. And he did. He dug this enormous Normandy style trench all it. the way across his body. I wonder if this is actually, though, something that you can relate to, Melissa, because I know that I've, you know, I've done lots of stalking lately of, of oh. you and I know that you struggle to. <laughs> To relax and to take holidays like many people. Yeah. How yeah. are you finding Locky D5? Well, look, I lockdown always seems to happen just at the end of a filming block. Mm. So it's usually at a time where as an introvert, I kind of, after spending days and days and weeks and months with, say, 100 over people every single day, whom I love, they're my family, mm. but I need that time to just sort of recharge alone. So um, we just finished filming Celebrity MasterChef um, not that long ago. And so to be able to sort of uh, do some work at home, you know, in the quiet, it's not such a bad thing for me. And I realise that that's um, a bit of a privilege for um, for me. Um, but, yeah, I'm just trying to sort of take the best out of it at the moment. So I'm not yet bored, but I no. might start digging holes in the backyard. <laughs> sure. I mean, provided you have a backyard, if you have an apartment, that would be very tricky. Just... That would be super awkward for the neighbour downstairs, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. am, I'm also an introvert. I, I'm a, I play a lot of video games. So whenever lockdown happens, every time this happens, I secretly go, yes, but it doesn't take long for the novelty to wear off. Like, yeah. at what point do you start to go a bit spare? Um, well, how many days is this so far? We, we were locked down from Friday and it's Monday. Still going okay, still going okay, because I, I am also a fantastic procrastinator and I have um, a few bits of homework that I need. I have a couple of deadlines due and um, it's amazing all of the little things that you find that you need to do um, before you can actually do the work that you're supposed to do. Do you cook? Are you, a, are you I mean, you eat for a living. You're a professional, yes. you know, taster of food. But when yes. push comes to shove, are you spending much of this time in the kitchen? I, do, I rented a house thinking that I would have an office and then have, you know, have a separate space, you know, obviously, you know, not work in the kitchen essentially. But it always ends up that I will work from the dining table because inevitably I'm cooking something or testing something and I just need to be near the kitchen. So, I yeah, I cook a lot um, at the moment. It's sort of just falling back in love with cooking again because, of course, we shoot 62 episodes of the main series of, of MasterChef a year and you come home and, and I'm not cooking. Like mm. I'm most most nights of the week, I'll look, I'll batch cook on a Sunday. I'll make, uh, I'll, I'll turn on the music, I'll slow cook something, I'll have a glass of wine and I'll just let something slowly tick away that will last a couple of meals. And that's usually my cooking, that's usually all the cooking I do during those blocks of time until I have a little bit more time off and my brain can kind of open up again and go, okay, all right, let's let's just do something, let's do something interesting or cook something that I've always wanted to cook or try out a new recipe or something like that. So yeah, there's definitely something going on in the kitchen at all times. I recently um, I'm a big fan of using what's in the fridge because, of course, food waste is a huge issue, um, not only in Australia but across the world. And so I like to look at what I have and try and be creative with it. And the latest thing has been um, I had this huge um, uh, salami, a, a fennel cacciatore, and it was okay but not sort of 
the kind of the quality that I would sort of say slice and make a charcuterie board out of or something like that. So I decided to blitz it all up and make um, a, a sort of a sort of an XO sauce with it. Um, and that was really fun and really exciting and it actually worked out really well. So I was pretty chuffed. It's interesting though that you say that when you were filming and when you're in the you know, I guess in the in the filming trenches, that food isn't stop a problem. Stop saying trenches. I, I must stop saying trenches. That you do <laughs> fall out of love. Dig up! Dig up! <laughs> <laughs> that you fall out of love with cooking, or not out of love, but you can't be bothered a little bit. Well, we, you know, sometimes we're at work for 14, 15 hours a day. So when you get home, um, not only am I sort of done with talking about food for the day, but I'm also full. So I don't, yeah. I don't need to, I don't need to cook. Often dinner is not really a thing because I've had 22 pastas that day or something. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, you know, I don't have that inhuman appetite that Jock has. Jock can eat all day at work and on the breaks and go home and cook a full meal for his family and do it all over again. Yeah. So that's that's just not quite normal though. <laughs> so no. He's he's uniquely cut out for this job. I have to say congratulations on the second series of Master Chef. Your second series, I should say, not the second oh, series. It's been you. going since before Jesus was born, I'm quite sure. But, <laughs> um, no, it's a retcon. It's a retcon. So the other seasons that happened, right? <laughs> it was delightful. Um, I found myself crying more than I had expected oh, this season. But lovely, in lovely, lovely happy tears. How did you find this second season compared to the first? I know that, you know, during the first you all came in and it was so exciting because you were the new judges, the new yeah. hosts, and then you absolutely smashed it out of the park with these incredible ratings. Did the second time, was it fun, more enjoyable for you because you understood the format or was there more pressure? How did it feel coming up again? Well, look, that's right. The first series was insane. I mean, uh, I remember when they were talking about what episode one would be and having a blackened room and a single spotlight and Gordon Ramsay introducing you to the world. I mean, that's insane. Mm. And I recently um, have been shooting Celebrity MasterChef with um, with Tilly Ramsey um, and, you know, so talking to her about her dad introducing us, you know, to, to the world in a way was, um, it was just such a lovely thing to sort of see come full circle. But that first season was um, an entirely different beast. It was such a privilege to be um, introduced in that way and to work with some of the most beloved uh, characters from um, the MC universe, really, um, to, to, to borrow parlance from, um, from the other world. Um, but, yeah, so that was really great. But then coming into this season, it was like our fair, it was like our very first season because it's the sort of hopeful, um, hopeful for translating their love of food into maybe something more and daring to dream about it. So to be able to be there and to help choose that top 24 and then see them all sort of learn and grow and, and become each other's support network and, and, and just express themselves in an entirely different way was really, really fun. And, um, yeah, I, I, I still feel very fond. I think I'll always feel especially fond for this top 24 because, um, you know, they let us they let us guide them in a way, which is a weird, um, a weird sort of thing to have bestowed upon you. But it's a great perk of my job. It must emotionally be 
I guess, what am I trying to say? I think it must take a lot more emotion than people Mm. even at home would realize. I mean, Mm. I know that I immediately attached myself to Kishwa. I'm sure that most people did. I think that was the whole whole thing. And how does it feel when you're in that room and you're, maybe you even know who's going to win and you know that that means somebody else isn't. How do you hold that together? Well, emotion is a huge part of it. You're absolutely right. I think that if I um, if I don't care, then why should I expect an audience to care? So mm. I care a lot and I care every day and that's why I go home and I'm completely shattered because I, um, I, I know that it's my responsibility to listen and to, to tease out those stories and to give all of myself. And so that's, that's the hard part of the job is... Um, the fact that your energy is all given to to what you do, but it's also the greatest privilege in the world to be able to do that as well. So um, it is it is really tough, and especially when um, you're sort of balancing sometimes hearing what your directive is in your ear, um, being having to deliver something to a group of people, but also you're thinking about what's about to happen next and how you need to keep. Um, some of that emotion back there's a lot of there's a lot of juggling that goes on um, in behind the scenes and inside our brains when we're doing something like that and I think it's just always about I um, for me it's just reminding myself to be present and to as much as you have different voices going on some of them real and some of them um, imaginary Mm. um, you have to just really remember that you are in the room with that person and this is a life-changing moment for them and that usually shakes me into a, a space of being able to be still and be able to be with that person and give them what they need. But you've also got an incredible level of, I would say, power. Uh, and I think, <laughs> you know, there's, the, there's that story about the about the kid who was um, playing the, uh, he got this really crappy role in a Christmas play and he gets cast as the innkeeper. And he's so bitter about it that when they ask if there's any room at the end, he's like, yes. And he just ruins the entire Christmas play. <laughs> you have it within you. I mean, when you get attached to favourites, do you ever consider just just you throwing it? She goes rogue. Just throwing yeah. it. Oh, ever, that's what I'm asking. Uh, yeah, do you ever just like let that go to your head and just go? You know what? I'm just going to change history and just go nuts. <laughs> no, because I as as much as look, it's a, it's human nature to be connected to people and to end up having your favourites. Or I think in many ways you see some of yourself in someone, and that's maybe what makes you connect to them. You can mm-hmm. relate to them in some way, but our job is it's right there in the title, right? We're, we're judges. We're not hosts, we're judges. Mm. And so in order to do that, we need to be as impartial as possible. And as much as we're, I think we're all aware of our own human nature to be connected and to, um, to see something, you know, want to back a horse in a race or something like that. Um, it's always about the food on the day. Um, it has to come down to that because if it's if it stops being that, then we don't have a show. Yeah. And this show, as you mentioned, has been going on since I think the eighties in the UK. Oh, has it really? Yeah. So it's been going on for a really long time and it's had obviously very many different versions um, internationally, but this particular version obviously has been going on for just over a decade and um, in itself it's the most popular format globally and there's a reason for that and it's because um, it's a shared love of food, sure, but it's also about judging what's on the plate. So we don't judge the people, we judge the food. And that's very much um, something that we, um, you know, we say it's it's a bit of a motto. And, and so we always just try and be as impartial as we can 
um, as human as we are. It does also fall into that category, which I'm really happy exists, especially in 2021, of like food adjacent feel goodery. Because Tegan and I, uh, <laughs> yeah. we are like lifelong devotees of the Great British Bake Off because it is a oh, show about too. people collaborating and helping each other, and it's about the food. I mean, how important is it to you guys that? MasterChef kind of scratches that itch for an Australian audience. Absolutely. Well, I it's, it is always all about the food when it comes to MasterChef. And I think that that's a beautiful thing because no matter what's going on in the world and no matter where you come from or what your, what your perspective um, on life is, you can connect over food. It's a, it's a thing that sustains us. It's a thing that carries our stories from generation to generation. So to be able to be part of something that celebrates um, humanity in the most um, sort of fun, engaging, but also egalitarian way is very, very cool. Mm. Um, you know, it, it sort of manages to to circum circumnavigate, um, you know, some the, the trickier parts of being human. I think and reminds us that we um, we are all still connected in some way through this necessity and this love of food. I know that I last year, and I'm sure many people, when everything was kind of stripped back during lockdown food became more important to me than it ever had been before. I know that that's reflected in a lot of other people. And I realized that, you know, I I'm, know I'm, I'm sitting across from my husband, who's the love of my life, but food would have to be one of the great loves of my life. Hey, if it came, if it came down to food and meat, please take food. <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> One thing I did notice I kept feeling when I was watching this series of MasterChef was I kept feeling overwhelmed at how little I knew. I mean, I thought I knew a lot about food. I've done food every single day. but <laughs> Sometimes more than once. <laughs> but for the, for some, some may say for your entire life. Yeah. Also. <laughs> I am a fan. Well, Malcolm Gladwell said 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. Yeah. <laughs> but there is, I mean, for example, the word umami – I mm. don't know if I have been missing something, but I feel like in the past two months, I You've hear now the word umami. Mm. And I didn't until a couple of weeks ago even know what it was. I thought it had something to do with edamame and maybe that it was a bean. <laughs> and, and well, I, you know, same, same. Well, it originates, it originates from Japan, so you're not too far off. That's good. In but terms I, of I'm... the origin of the word. I can just cut to the chase, Tegan. Tegan has written down here on a piece of paper, yeah. what the f*** is umami? <laughs> So, I mean, if you want to answer that very indelicate question for us. Well, I mean, umami is, um, it's identified as sort of the ultimate expression of savoury flavour. So um, there are certain foods in the world that naturally have that. Um, and so we're talking things like tomatoes, Vegemite, mushrooms. Um, they all have um, just this underpinning of, of a savoury quality to food and when you add it to something else it 
gives you that very satisfying kind of savory flavor and it was um I guess it, there was a scientist in Japan who was the first person to sort of identify it in in a and, and give it a name um and it's something that we um yeah we we really look for in food especially obviously in savory food because um it's just something that humans are attracted to and so when you eat it you don't necessarily go mm, yes that's all mummy but you you taste it you know that it's it's delicious because it's really, um, it doesn't have to be meaty, but it has that meaty sort of quality about it. Interesting. Are we talking yeah. about it more in the past, I don't know, year? Is this is it actually a word that's buzzing at the moment and people are referring to it more or have I missed many, it's a, many things? It's a, word that, um, it's a word that sort of floats around in the food space a lot because of how sort of important it is to the generation of flavor mm. and the building of sort of a flavor characteristic. So essentially, you know how we joke about MSG being in food and food is more delicious because there's MSG in it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, glutamate, it, that, that's exactly what it is, right? It's the, it's the natural occurrence of glutamate in food. So monosodium glutamate is MSG. So glutamate is like the naturally occurring sort of savory quality that makes food tastier. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about it in, in a food context, um, especially when we're, when we're tasting a dish, if it has umami, it has that extra kind of turbo boost of, um, of savoury deliciousness that makes the dish better. And so that's why, you know, that's why you hear chefs using that term. And then obviously it, then it's just that trickle down effect of people going, oh, umami. Yeah. Is what you're saying that umami is like love in that you can't define it, but you know it when it exists? Then you know it's there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is super delicious. I can't tell you why, but it's so good. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. Um, the other people tend to find it is in fermented things. So why is miso is not only salty, but it's savory. Um, so if that's sort of that's probably a yes. really good a really good sort of way to illustrate it is when you have a bowl of miso soup, it's not just about it being salty, but it sort of has this very um yeah, this very savory quality about it. I guess this is actually, even though we have taken you down a path that I don't think <laughs> either of us were expecting, it, it really does kind of get back to what I was trying to very inarticulately sum up before, which is when I was watching MasterChef, I was blown away by how little I know when it comes to food and mm. how much there is still to learn. And yeah. I, how have you gotten to this position where you just know so much? Because I know that being a food critic wasn't your first path. This is, you know, no. you're one of these fascinating people who've taken so many paths and now you're, you know, you now you're a judge and host on MasterChef. Will you ever get to the point where you think you know everything? Will you Well, it's like, it's like music or film, isn't it? I, um, I was recently... Pete Hellier has asked me to do his movie podcast, mm-hmm. uh, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet, and it's amazing. And I thought when he asked me, I was like, yeah, you know, there's let, let's look at the list of classic movies that I've never seen. And then I started thinking about it and going, wow, you can never know enough about cinematography or about sort of film studies. You can never know all of music Mm. Um, and it's the same thing with food so I think if you think about it too much my brain would probably explode about the things I don't know about food Um, and it's just it's an ongoing pursuit and obsession and collection of of information and I'll probably forget things as I'm as I'm learning new things but it's you know as, as you mentioned I fell into food accidentally and I love it and so it's it's I guess it's like anything that you become obsessed with 
you allow extra parts of your brain, uh, extra real estate in your brain to be taken up by as much as you can learn. And, um, you know, I would never for a minute say that I know um, everything there is to know about food because you just keep learning every single day and you have the great privilege of this of being on a show like this and the information that other people bring to you about um, culture and regional specificity and, and recipes that you've never experienced um, in real life and you continue to build on that knowledge so um, as much as it's as much as MasterChef sort of places us as the experts and we do know a lot about food it's also a really great learning ground for everybody who um, is willing to uh, to open themselves up to that. I think this ties really well into your catchphrase and your kind of ethos <laughs> is you'll try everything once, right? Yeah, I mean, I'll eat anything once. And that's that's amazing because my biggest beef in the world is the fussy eater as a person. I, I, I am baffled mm. by fussy eaters. I'm confused by them. And Can I you be it, friends with fussy eaters? Um, I am friends. We are friends with some fussy eaters. We- it's just this, oh God, it's this horrible gauntlet. Whereas with you, I feel like we could invite you over and say, we've made long pig and you'd be like, yep, sure. Haven't tried that let's, before. Let's do that. And, and then we'd be eating humans, wouldn't Ab- we? Absolutely, um, yes. that <laughs> would, yeah, that's, yeah, I think that, look, like you said, I'm, I'm, I didn't start. I didn't study food, but I I love food and I I studied every day in my own way. And I think that natural inquisitive nature was what um, is what's put me here. So why would I stop now? You know, mm. it's always about banking experiences, and you don't have to love everything that you eat. But if I if I'm something like I was uh, I was sailing down the Mekong River, the Mekong Delta. Um, from Vietnam to Cambodia on assignment. Um, That was probably one of the last trips that I got to do before, you know, all of this kind of craziness of MasterChef, but also um, pandemic happened. And I was offered an aperitivo snack of deep fried um, tarantulas and crickets. Amazing. Um, And what are you going to do? Like you're in this part of the world where this is a a regular um, source of protein and nourishment um it would be disrespectful not to partake in that experience and did i have to like it no but it was actually really interesting it's kind of um tarantula is like soft shell crab Hmm. you know if you kind of get your head around it that way that you know there's um when you think about say um i can't remember what what it was but there are um there are very there are lots of similarities between certain insects and certain crustaceans for example Mm. so if we're fine with eating prawns but we're not fine with you know eating crickets then that's a bit silly isn't it it's just a mind thing oh yeah yeah. i agree absolutely but what's on your bucket list i mean tarantulas is pretty it's pretty odd i mean but what is on your list of things that you haven't tried that you are just i haven't tried yeah i look i don't i don't have sort of like a target bucket list it's more about a context thing so if i'm traveling somewhere in the world and something is culturally um, appropriate something's culturally apt you've been offered something at someone's table Mm. then i'm going to eat it you know, I, well, I'm going to at least do my best to 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 try it, whatever that happens to be. So, you know, that I guess I don't know what I don't know about that. You know, there are, obvi- <laughs> there are obviously taboo things like if we think about um, going to Japan and, and eating whale, I wouldn't seek it out. You know, because obviously that's um, that that sort of defies the the ethics of environment and and all of the rest of it. But if you're sitting at someone's table and they've offered you something 
like mm. whale, for example, then it's disrespectful not to partake at that point. That is so interesting because I wasn't even thinking about the moral danger. I was thinking about mm. physical danger like pufferfish and tetradoxin, but you've raised this interesting <laughs> thing. I mean, would you ever go to some like sketchy backstreet place and knock three times on a door and go down to a basement and eat pufferfish, the fish that like coin flip could, could kill you? Could kill you. It's one, it's, well, is it one in 37 or something like that that you can be Whoa. poisoned? Yeah, it can kill you. There's some some very low, um, sorry, it's, yeah, it's, it's entirely likely that you'll you'll either be very sick or you could possibly die for it. Would I try it? Um, if I had the opportunity to have it prepared by someone who knew what they were doing, for sure. Speaking of the morality of food, Paul, you brought up something in, in the last episode of this season's MasterChef that you bumped up against and I thought was hilarious. Yeah, I because just... Oh, go on. <laughs> go on. Um, uh, edible gold. Uh, it's not like... Because, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I did have this image of someone, like, crawling through a mind going, man, this is going to come out someone's backside one day, which is an interesting, <laughs> interesting journey for gold. But, I mean, how did you... Did that? Am I crazy for thinking that's a little odd? I mean, does it taste like anything? Well, gold leaf and silver leaf is sort of quite often used in pretty fancy desserts and things like that as an embellishment. Um, would I say that that's the most amount of gold I've eaten in a dish? Probably because that's like quite a few sheets. <laughs> I, think I think especially on quichuas, I've actually had like 50,000 sheets of it just sort of all, <laughs> all pressed in there. And and it doesn't really, it doesn't taste like anything really. It's just, um, you know, it, it sort of melts away and becomes nothing. So, yeah, I mean, poor miners out there doing their thing. It's um, <laughs> up being very, very fine, um, wafer-thin layers of, of gold that end up on on a fancy dessert but yeah it doesn't really taste like anything it just looks really fancy and I think um on that particular occasion um I mean Peter Gilmore is an absolute genius and so to be able to experience um you know a, a dish created by him and then interpreted um you know as best as they can um, by the contestants was very very cool as you said um you've you know your career has taken so many different interesting directions since lockdown started and the master chef experiences hit your life i'm sure so much has changed do you even bother looking ahead at the moment or are you still just kind of rolling with it um i think that attitude of rolling with it's probably kept me um in good stead in this last year and a half. Yeah. Um, being freelance for prior to this job, I guess about 13, 12, 13 years, saying yes to opportunities that aren't necessarily a completely a complete fit, but just saying yes anyway because the opportunity is there and because you probably need to earn or learn. I think that's a really good way of sort of being in life because you then are able to roll with the punches maybe a little bit easier than others yeah um so for me yes i mean we can say yes to festivals and uh, and appearances and and gigs coming up in the next little while but whether or not we'll be able to do them it's all very questionable at this point isn't it i don't think we thought we'd be in lockdown number five at this point we thought, oh, well, we'll just go through that that main sort of, the, the first two lockdowns are pretty intense. So we thought, well, we nip it in the bud and sort of have a bit of a, um, a hiatus from regular life for a bit, then hopefully this will be it. But here we are, fifth one. Mm. How many more are we going to have? Who knows? There's no, there's no point anticipating what's coming next at this point. I think we just say yes to the opportunities that come to us. And if we're able to... Um, you know, if we're able to live them, then we should. Yeah. 
Um, otherwise, easy come, easy go, I suppose. There was a rumour that I read that you might be a regular panellist on the project soon. <laughs> Are you able to talk about that? Could we be seeing you on there soon, maybe? Um, that was, I have no idea. That was one of the funnier um, tabloid pieces that, I've, that, that someone, told me, someone told me happened. So I've appeared on the project as a guest yeah. a number of times because of MasterChef. Where that rumour has come from, I have absolutely no idea. Um, but it was it was probably actually there it is in the name no idea that particular <laughs> publication so um, yeah no idea and um, I think there was there was some rumor about there there must be beef between me and Carrie because of <laughs> that and I'm just like Carrie's a journalist first of all so anchoring a show like that is complete makes complete sense she's you know the one of the one of the prominent voices of modern journalism especially on 10 but but in Australia in general um and why does anybody need to generate beef between successful women yeah anywhere I know I thought that was just a really interesting thing as I never thought I my name would be pitted against someone else's name um in the pursuit of um completely baseless tabloid journalism but but there you have it is that that very Australian thing of um when you hit a certain level of awareness in um in pop culture um you must have an issue with someone else and you must have an ego that drives you yeah. which is ridiculous I'm just happy to be here eating the snacks so <laughs> you know I'm I'm good with I'm good with where I am for right now I love my job and um of course I love working you know with the network that I work with because they've they've said yes to someone who looks like me um which doesn't hasn't happened a lot and is slowly happening more and more but um you know inclusivity is a pretty great thing and it's a pretty great thing to be part of a network that is driven by it yeah I, I've of course not experienced the level of exposure and fame that you have in this country I know that when I did a show a few years back with ABC and it was all the panelists on this sports show were women one of the very few interviews I gave they took this one sentence out and made it sound as if there was beef between myself and one of the other females <laughs> on the show it's like come on really it yeah. was so because there can only be one sports commentator that's female like you, there can only be one type of yeah. everybody Obviously. I mean, and sure, like, that sentence on. of mine like, was, I hate women, but I don't know why they took it out of context. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, don't even... I am the Highlander of sports journalism and there can, can only be one and it's me. Rumours are weird. I mean, I heard yeah. a rumour that uh, every every new iteration of MasterChef, like Doctor Who, all three hosts physically regenerate into three different people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, That's it's great. Awesome. Uh, look, I'm. I think it's about time. I know. I'm Melissa. sorry. No, I no, just no. Keep We're just having the best time. But Melissa, <laughs> I think it's about time to ask you uh, what you've brought with you and what your desert island dish is. Okay, my desert island dish. And look, it, if you Google my response to this a question like this, it'll be the same mm -hmm. every single time. And it's my mother's Hainanese chicken Ooh. rice. It just, it just has to be. You know, it's the one. It's the first thing that I learned from her repertoire when I left um, home, you know, when I moved out of home and I really missed, you know, I really missed her cooking and that was the one dish that really stood out to me as something that I needed to learn how to make um, because it's, um, it's home. It's home culturally, it's home, you know, in, in terms of just my relationship with my mum and my family. 
and um, and it is also a deliciously complete meal. I mean, chicken and rice in any culture is substantial. It's soul food and it's simple as well. You know, it really relies on, you know, three basic ingredients to flavour everything. And the fact that it's layered so many times and reinforced in that way is what makes it so powerful, um, both in flavour and both in significance. So, Is this yeah. a secret recipe? Are you able to talk us through it even in a little detail? Oh, look, it's Absolutely. It's um, it's not a secret recipe at all. It's very, very simple. So you start off with a whole chicken and my mum always likes to scrub the skin of the chicken in, and, and also inside the cavity with salt really well. But the effect of scrubbing the skin, it's like a face scrub, right? It's, it makes the skin smooth. And so when you go to poach the chicken, you end up with this really um, sort of tender, glossy, um, gorgeous skin because of course you you eat it so um, you scrub the skin and then um, basically give it a really good rinse um, stuff the cavity with um, I like to sort of smash it up just to to let everything sort of release but ginger garlic and spring onions and they go into mm-hmm. the cavity um, pop the chicken in a pot of um, in a pot of water cold and then um, bring it up to um, bring it up to a boil and you let that boil for about, so depending on the size of the chicken, about 10, 15 minutes on a full boil, turn it off, stick a lid on, and then let it just sit for about half an hour to 45 mm. minutes. And it just continues to cook. Um, but what you end up having is a very, very tender result because you're not overcooking the chicken. You're just sort of letting the residual heat do its thing. And then in the meantime, what you do, and I should have mentioned this earlier, is when you when you're cleaning the chicken, you cut off a piece of um, the skin or the fat from um, from mm-hmm. around the neck, and you render out the fat in a pan, and then you actually fry off jasmine rice. So wash the jasmine rice really, really thoroughly because the whole aim of the game is to get rid of a fair amount of starch. So drain it, and then you basically frying the rice in the chicken fat, and then again, um, you know, the ginger, garlic, spring onions to kind of start to perfume the rice and then you use the water the stock from cooking the chicken as the liquid to cook your rice oh my god so you're using you're using everything in there and you're, you're layering flavors so you're not cooking rice with water you're cooking it with chicken um you know the, the yeah. chicken stock and so everything has just turbo amounts of flavor and so once the chicken's rested in the liquid you take it out you refresh it in cold water which gives a really lovely snap to the skin and you let that cool down and you should always eat Hainanese chicken at room temperature so it shouldn't be hot so it should just have started to jellify between the meat and the skin and that's when you know it's really good you then take the the water the chicken water and you um you essentially clarify it bring boil it down and add seasoning to it and then that becomes a consomme that you drink so there's literally nothing wasted in the entire process and then depending depending on you know depending on who you talk to sometimes people also will put a little bit of white cabbage in there as well so that sort of changes the flavor it adds a sort of an extra vegetal kind of layer of flavor but it really um, my mum my mum never did that so I don't do it and I think it works out pretty good um, and other people put pandan leaf in the chicken as well and that gives it sort of an extra um, an extra kind of certain something also uh, that's a tip that David Thompson um, who is a very very 
a very good chef. Um, he is um, probably one of the most beloved and, and valued exports of, of chefs in Australia. Yeah, he taught me that trick. And sometimes I'll do it and sometimes I won't do it. That sounds beautiful. It just sounds like care and comfort in a recipe. Yeah. yeah. It's super it's super easy, but it's one of those things that just takes time to do properly. Yeah. And the more you do it, the better you become at it as well. So there's there's no secret tricks at all other than um, care and attention. But this is a family recipe. This is one that was handed down to you. Does it have your yeah. mum's seal of approval or could she do it better? I am going to put it out there and say, I think at this stage I can probably make it better than that. <laughs> Maybe. she. I certainly have no complaints from anybody that I've ever made it for. Um, and I'm, yeah, it's one of those dishes that it doesn't matter who's coming over. Um, I'm 1000% confident that I can make it as good as anyone in the world. That's so great. You need to, and you need to have that when you have friends like mine. So whether or not they get sick of eating Hainanese chicken rice, I don't care, but that's that's fine. That's um. That's definitely a dish that I know. Um. I, I can. I can rest my laurels on that one. I feel like I now have a mission, which is I know I'm not gonna get everything down pat, mm. but I want to have one dish where I know that I can cook it mm-hmm. as well Busted as out. anyone yeah. else. That's a really that's wonderful it. little mission. Do you think you could? Uh, do you think if you were to enter MasterChef yourself as a contestant, <laughs> do you think? Do you think if you whip this dish out, it would get the stamp of approval? What insanity. Um, I, yeah, speaking of people that enter MasterChef, I just, I mean, hats off to them. They're absolutely incredible to have the guts to allow the universe to happen because you don't know what's going to happen in that kitchen. Turning up every day for months on end, not knowing what you're about to do is insane to me. Absolutely insane. I love, I'm a massive control freak. So I love holding all the cards. I love knowing exactly what's about to happen that day. But these people turn up every single day and they they create the most incredible things. And I think, you know, that is just, um, it's such a magical thing. And I really admire um, their guts and their determination to persist with that. If I made this dish as an entry dish on the show, um, would it rate? Yes, it absolutely would. Oh. <laughs> no, I have no no question. Like this is, I, I'm saying this is the one dish that I know absolutely everybody will love if you, of course, if you eat chicken. If you eat, if you don't eat chicken, then that's not my problem. But, um, <laughs> but yes, no, I, I'm very, very confident with my version of Hainan Gai Fun and um, yeah. You know what? Enter and serve it every week regardless of the parameters. <laughs> And you know what? If it's good enough, it'll carry you through to the very end. But it's also chicken with rice, you know. So again, it's it's not sort of a such a full on sort of uh, flavor profile that you couldn't eat it regularly. Yeah, okay. as well. So okay. that's what's good about it. Well, you know, it's 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 very welcome <laughs> on the island, as are you, Melissa. Really, I mean, what a great Thank you. what a great addition! Oh my god, we have chicken rice on the island. I now. know. I feel like yes. we need it actually a bit more because people have been bringing weird stuff. I'll be honest. I was I've been a bit surprised by some of the dishes. In love with them but very surprised by some people's desert island dishes. Anyway, (laughs) Melissa, uh, thank you so much for joining us. You can never leave, and uh, we look forward to seeing you around the traps. We've given you a nice kind of wing of the island. It's like very, it's very well, like it's very well shaded and there's lots of flowing water, so you'll be fine. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. No problem. I can't believe we just spoke with Melissa Leong. I know. She, much like everyone else on this island, is a national treasure. (laughs) 
<laughs> Let's call it Treasure Island. Oh, no, that's been done. National Treasure Island. National Treasure... No, I don't like it. I do want to name the island. If anybody does have any suggestions on what we should name our island, please do hit us up on Instagram at Dish Island. That's right. We've had such a great time with you on the past, you know, however many episodes. It's been such a great journey so far. It has been. Please do tell your friends about the podcast. I, I know that we are recording from atop a possum cage, but, you know, we, we really would love it if lots of people could listen to the show. So share it around and we look forward to talking food with you next week. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Dish Island. Dish is part of the Acast Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 